0: On today's Midnight Flicks, we slice open Roman Polanski's 1965 movie Repulsion. It's a groundbreaking movie that has a lot to unpack, not only in the multitude of heavy themes that it explores, but also when discussing the controversial director that was its brainchild. If you're someone that can engage in the cognitive compartmentalization of separating the art from the artist and analyze this movie on its own merit, you will find that it is in certain ways some of the most forward-thinking cinema of its day. It put under the microscope toxic masculinity, women's sexual agency, mental illness, and possibly even assessing LGBTQ issues, all through the vehicle of a claustrophobia-inducing, disorienting psychological thriller-slash-proto-slasher. For myself, it's a very personal movie to watch and is somewhat triggering, And I offer that caveat to you as well, our dear listener, as we break it all down on this episode of Midnight Flicks. But something is happening to her, something that she doesn't quite understand. And soon she will be swept up in a frantic fury of repulsion. Repulsion, a frightening film that takes the everyday world and distorts it. Today, we're going to talk about Repulsion. This is, uh, is, we're ticking off a couple uh, boxes on this one as well. This is our first Polanski movie, and also our first Criterion Collection feature, as far as I know. Yes. Until we discover that Maniac Cop has become a Criterion (laughs) Collection (laughs) edition. Cliffhanger. The new Criterion Cliffhanger. So up top, I I do want to make note of this just in case people have any sort of concerns or outcries. Yes, this is a Polanski film. Yes, we are aware. Polanski is a controversial figure at at minimum, and it's also a horrible predatory asshole. I was
1: gonna, yeah, I was gonna mention that off the top. That way, we don't have to men- We can mention it off the top when we get started so then we don't have to fucking talk about it for the whole goddamn episode.
0: Yes. So we both agree on that point. We are not trying to downplay in any way, shape, or form. His- I literally
1: just put, before we get started, let us, let us let us put this right out there. Roman Polanski is a fucking piece of shit pedophile rapist, and we're in no way celebrating him as a person, but merely offering a commentary on his work as a director.
0: <laughs> yes, because like him or not, this man has been at the helm of masterful cinema. Yeah. Yes. That's the controversial part. So that's, that's the, that's the hard pill that you got to swallow with this, you know, is he's made some damn good movies. Cons- yeah, it'd be cons- easier to
1: write him off if he hadn't.
0: Right. Exactly. So that out of the way, this is our first Polanski movie. This is Polanski's, This was Palancey's second film, his first English film, English language film. Um, So. um, Yeah. The other one was what? Knife in the water or something like that. Knife in the water prior to this. This is the first of what is considered the apartment trilogy.
1: Yeah. That's what I put down for my trifecta.
0: Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely get into that uh, talking about that with the trifecta. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily a part of my trifecta, but you know, it's something that's worthy of note when we get to that point. Um, we can just dive right into yeah t- talking about this this movie and and Polanski. Uh, I uh, this also we can we can uh, hitch this on to as far as talking about movies we've watched recently, which we've kind of foregone necessarily diving into that, but I, I can tie that theme into this uh, <clears throat> by talking about the fact that I did watch The Pianist.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I did want to touch upon the fact that I saw The Platform, which is on Netflix and it's a Spanish language movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you, have, did you see, have you seen it?
0: No, that's a movie that we have every night we scroll over we're like, we should watch this and we don't watch it. So it, w- it will get watched.
1: Yeah, just go ahead and watch it because you'll love it. It's got okay. like a weird saw premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, it's like this prison that is uh, set up in a tower format. And depending on what level you're on, a, mm-hmm. a slab of food. So the, whole, the there's like a hole in the middle of the room and a slab like goes down like an elevator shaft to each level. So if you're on level 47, you get the scraps of the 46 levels above you. And yeah. if you're on the first level, you the the slab of food is just is just peppered with like a fucking array, it's just like a it's a it's a smorgasbord of different food. But then there's people that are on like the 150th level. So by the time the slab gets to them, they're like You know, it's just empty place and shit. So they have to survive by like resorting to like cannibalism and or (laughs) other means. Um, So
0: that's wild. Yeah, I gathered that it was a saw slash cube premise. This this panopticon.
1: That's a good comparison. Those two movies. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's a panopticon sort of trope where there are people that are people or entities that are manning this, this device or contraption this, uh, or this building that the victims are in and, and they have no real understanding as to what put them in this place. You know, it's this nightmare scenario where they've just been kidnapped and, and put into this uh, (laughs) Rube Goldberg or, you know, whatever torture chamber sort of uh, device that they need to somehow figure out how to get out of. Yeah.
1: And the, and the twist being, or like the, the moral quandary being that it's supposed to, it's supposed to elicit some level of spontaneous socialism, I should say it's spontaneous. Uh, yeah. That's for lack of a better word, spontaneous socialism, because there's enough food on the slab to feed everybody. If everybody just eats, what within their own means, Mm. there's enough food for everybody. Ah. But when you spend time on the 50th level and you're starving, and then, so everyone spends the time on uh, at at whatever level they're on for a month. And then the next month they're knocked out and put on a different level. So when you wake up on a higher level, you gorge because you're maybe you weren't at a, at that level previously and you want to make the best of it because you don't know when you're going to wake up and be, at a at a lower level where you don't have food again but mm-hmm. if everyone were to spontaneously uh assist one another and everyone just ate their portion then everyone could be fed mm-hmm. um and it would break it would break this prison wheel um but it doesn't happen because inherently people are fucking awful are i awful. guess is the entire <laughs> f- is the entire premise is that it would never happen because we are inherently fucking garbage
0: selfish (laughs) awful people which yeah and that and that that obviously ties in with what is you know what is the saw premise where you know it's it's taking awful people and putting them in scenarios where they either need to evaluate how awful they are or see find value in life or whatever you know
1: yeah yeah very very much so i'd say it's a little bit Smarter, maybe than a, a Saw movie. Or at least what Saw movies kind of
0: what, <laughs> what Saw movies have devolved into. I feel like yeah, the, devolved the, into the very first Saw is is a really it's it's a smart premise. But yeah, yeah, Sounds I love win-win.
1: yeah, right. It's Sounds because James Wan wasn't uh, in, involved in the in the next eight or however mm-hmm. many there are. I think there's one another one coming out this Halloween. <laughs> mm-hmm even not even the last one was called saw the final chapter
0: <laughs> which won't be it's much the same as friday the 13th as long as somebody can come in and profit off of it they'll just they'll reinvent, just they'll, they'll reinvent it somehow saw in hell saw in space i would love a, i would love
1: more horror movies to start going
0: back to space yeah that'd be great but
1: so yeah what what is it that you uh that you were gonna that you previewed this this weekend or watch i should say
0: well, as I said, I I had watched The Pianist. That's right. That's right. Uh, the night that we Adrian, Adrian Big Dick nosed Brody, right? <laughs> Adrian Brody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we because I, I
1: haven't seen it. So I, I just, No, I just know that he's in it. And it's okay. a World War II movie.
0: Well, it's a World War II Holocaust movie. Uh. So yes, feel-good yeah, it's very feel good. Yeah, I smiling. didn't
1: mean to make it sound like Saving Private Ryan. It was <laughs> 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 you're right? A Holocaust. Yes,
0: movie. Yes. It's and it it's an amazing film and it really does a good job of portraying the absolute horrors of the Holocaust. And also the complete insanity of a phenomena like the Nazis rising and the, and the Holocaust occurring in, you know, giving you uh, a glimpse into how fascistic authoritarian, authoritarian phenomenons like that occur in real time. In the sense that the people initially are not aware really of how bad it could get. They're just like, Oh, this will pass. This will pass. Oh, it's just going to be, it's bad now, but we'll endure it and things will get better. Somebody will either, there will be an uprising or there will be some sort of uh savior that comes in to our rescue. And of course it never happens. And it just escalates and escalates and escalates. To the point where you have complete genocide, as 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 was the case with the Holocaust, and then you have analogs that have occurred time and time again throughout history. But really, the rise of the Nazis is a very singularly impressive event, and I think Polanski, you know, did a phenomenal job of portraying, you know, what it actually was like, and also at the same time the the uh, not just talking about that uh, uh, aspect of it but also within the movie it talks about this really really amazing story of perseverance because it's based off of a true story uh, the character that Adrian Brody plays was a real life individual um, Spielman I think was his name where he was able to survive the different stages of, of you know having to get you know, uh, being basically, you know, treated like chattel and being like, you know, put into these different more awful scenarios throughout the Holocaust as it escalated and being able to somehow figure out how to survive all of that and navigate it, you know, to the point where he, you know, he made it to the end when the Russians ev- eventually, you know, were able to push back and, and overtake the Nazis and, and then they occupied Poland and he was, you know, saved and it's, it's pretty crazy. Just, uh, yeah. Um, so that's what we watch. We watch that instead of, uh, repulsion when I should have been watching repulsion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, do we want to talk about, uh, Roman Polanski then? So we can Yeah, we get can, that we can talk, out of the way yeah, and
0: we'll talk about him a little bit more and then, and
1: dive in. Okay. I mean, do we want to uh, uh, do the elephant in the room here? <laughs> of, of just like, you know, obviously he's a fucking predator, and uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, we already talked about that. Like I said, I had okay. To I
1: didn't know when when we were going to yes. um, if that was okay. <laughs> we did, I'm more discombobulated because no. I don't know when we started recording.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I recorded, so we 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 have all that. So that's 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 out of the way. What Never else? mind.
1: You can cut. You, uh, you can cut that part out. We're
0: leaving all of this in. All of it. <laughs> fuck. <Never mind. laughs> I might as well
1: grab my chili bowl.
0: <laughs> like I said, I wanted you to give me the the, the chili noises. That's where we started off. <laughs> the, with the chili noises in the uh, mic. now that I'm oh, fuck. Okay. And it's gonna it's gonna show up at the end. It's, as it a, gives me a good reference point as a, as a secret cut secret track. <clears throat> so what I wanted to say about this uh, before we get into it is this: actually, of all the movies we've watched so far, is in a lot of ways the most personal movie yet for me. I I was aware of Polanski before I saw this. I had seen Rosemary's Baby. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I think honestly, before I'd seen this, that was probably it. I had. I don't even know how I discovered this movie. I was just, I I remember getting the movie from what was it? Borders. I got the VHS at Borders when Borders was still open. And I was living alone at the time in the middle of nowhere. I I have a very strange backstory when it comes to (laughs) (laughs) places that I've lived, but more or less, I was living in a house by myself out in the middle of nowhere of Indiana. And I discovered this movie. And it really resonated with me, and I watched it repeatedly, almost to the point where it was unhealthy. Well, had, watching had, it once is unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a very unhealthy obsession with this movie. <laughs> so, and rewatching it this time, it, it's funny. I actually had not watched it in, in quite some time. This is the first time I've watched it. I had. I had bought um a dVD copy of it, and it was still wrapped, so I unwrapped it to watch it and it's funny because it was so ingrained in my consciousness that a lot of the dialogue it it had a cer- it, it created a certain sensation and trigger in me, and I remembered all of it very clearly, and certain lines specifically stuck out and this you know resonated with me in a way that I hadn't you know I thought i had wouldn't have that sort of interaction with the movie. So, yeah, uh, this movie is pretty important to me in a lot of ways. So.
1: I don't have, uh, as integral of a connection. I don't, I mean, I, I've seen it before, so this isn't my first viewing, obviously. Um, it is that whole apartment trilogy. I've seen all those movies multiple times. I've only seen the tenant like once. <laughs> but I remember liking it. But all of them have a claustrophobic and uh, and paranoia that has not been duplicated, I feel like, in any other movie. Rosemary's Baby has a very much so like uh, behind-your-shoulder kind of vibe. Like you're constantly... It's got more of the paranoia. And this has just got the uh, mental health... Uh, <laughs> Mental health angle down to a T. I mean, the walls literally closing in on her, and 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 the vibe, the overall, uh, the descent into madness is like all too real in this. It, it's not. It, very few movies are able to to duplicate this reality as as effectively.
0: Yeah, I will say there's definitely a paranoid. Uh, there's a, a, a clearly a schizo- uh, paranoid schizophrenic aspect of this movie, but. The difference then uh, that distinguishes it between uh this and like say Rosemary's baby is rosemary's baby is an instance where you have a group of people gaslighting the the heroine you, you know yeah. throughout the whole movie, whereas <clears throat> this is a situation where this individual already has their own inchoate kind of uh mental illness that is being exacerbated by her own you know, paranoia or um, you know, uh the issues that she has with people of the outside world or whatever. Um, so yeah, I would say of of all Palace's movies, this is my favorite, the next being Chinatown. I do really like Rosemary's Baby and I really like the tenant. Um, but for me this is this is the numero uno and I feel like a lot of that is just because of what I said. It has a kind of a, a personal, like almost uh uh, sentimental value to it. So. I'll also say to
1: close, I lived with a lesbian for many years of my life
0: (laughs) and her repulsion
1: towards men rivaled that of Carol's. I could totally see her getting kissed by a dude and then going home and like fucking running home to brush her teeth or like when she smells that dude's pile of clothes and just like fucking (laughs) bomb bombs. Like I just, I had visions of, of my former roommate and how object like just like men were so fucking repulsive to her, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I get it, like I I understand. So yeah. I I there I'm not sure you're meant to believe that Carol is gay, mm-hmm. but I feel like there is definitely uh, uh, there's definitely a a queer vibe in this movie. Um, it's underlining though it's not it's not underlying I should say it's not like super prevalent
0: yeah queer or I would say uh, for that matter asexual there's an asexuality to it yeah I could I could see that
1: more so than than queer Mm -hmm. definitely yeah Yeah.
0: so that being said that segues into the synopsis of this movie if we haven't already more or less elucidated is uh a young woman is repulsed by men so much so to the extent that it's exacerbating what would be uh seen as a mental illness that's be not necessarily recognized by those around her to the point where she completely just spirals into uh a homicidal state a homicidal uh despairing isolated state in her apartment um and as far as and we'll get more into this when we talk about the movie, the, the themes of it, there's a lot of different themes in this movie that, uh, that's happening all at once. Uh, and it's a discussion of mental health. It's a discussion of what I would see as patriarchy, a discussion of, uh, woman, a uh, woman's expression of their own sexuality in different ways. So we can kind of go on and on and on about what this movie was trying to talk about. Maybe if not explicitly, um, there, there is a lot of underlying subtext to this movie. Um, so, yeah.
1: That's a good, that's a good synopsis of it. It's, it's definitely another, it's also a, a descent into madness kind of movie. Yeah. I very Lovecrafty. I, I know you fate. <laughs> movies being... Don't, don't, throw <laughs> don't throw that around. Don't
0: throw that around. do you mean
1: it. But I love the, uh, the... Uh, the comparison being that Lovecraft loved to write about isolation and, um, people getting uh psychosis through their own self-isolation or feeling, um, uh, feeling ostracized in, in, in a culture.
0: Right. Yeah. And my partner and I, we talked about that pretty extensively after watching the movie, uh, about the, yeah, the theme of self-isolation and feeling like an other or, you know, feeling whatever marginalized for whatever reason, um, uh, and exacerbating, you know, and whatever inner turmoil you might have. Um, she actually kind of read into it a little bit of a, a subtext of, you know, correlation to being like, uh, um, <clears throat> hooked on drugs or having some sort of substance uh, issues. That yeah, you know, I could
1: totally see that vibe too.
0: Yeah, so there's there's a mul- multitude of different ways that you can read into it and what what uh, Polanski was trying to say with the movie. Um, and that's what makes this movie so great is because it's it's a very layered and symbolic movie. And after I watched it this time, it, it's that's what really I was I was pulling from it again was. <laughs> The, the the subtle uh, uses of symbolism, not only in the imagery in the film, but also with the sound design and things like that. So anyways, we can get more into that as, as we commence with um, the, uh, the good, the bad and the questionable, unless you have any other points of order before we get into that. Uh, so no,
1: I did. I was going to say, did you see anything about uh, kind of like how this movie did financially or anything like that?
0: Yeah, so I guess before we get into that, we can talk about that. Um, I don't know about financially so much, but I do know from what I've read uh, from critical reviews and things like that that this this is a pretty well received movie. This is a critically well received movie and is has been upheld throughout the years as being one of the best movies made. Um, it's, it's been on multiple lists, uh, by critics as a must see movie before you die. Um, I didn't see anything from Ebert. Ebert had like a surrogate, I guess, that wrote about it. And basically he gave it a good review as well. So I've never really seen it, any sort of negative shade thrown at it. And it was made on a pretty modest budget. Uh, to me in a lot of ways, this is Polanski's Psycho. Where, you know, Psycho as an analog was a, a bare bones budget movie made by Hitchcock that grossed well above what was put into it. And yeah, uh,
1: so I can't imagine that this didn't. Do well, given yeah. uh, given the budget.
0: <laughs> yeah, once again, this is a movie that was punching out of its weight above its weight class. Well, because I did
1: see that it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and was like uh, the darling of the nineteen what sixty five Cannes Film Festival. So, anything that premieres there and does well is is uh, financially viable. But like you said, also commercially success, uh, successful as well as uh, just critically. Um, successful. So, yeah, I'm just curious if you had heard anything. Yeah.
0: So, essentially, yes. It That's was good. A, it was a success and it's, it's, it's never, it's, it's luster has never really been diminished over the years. I feel it's been pretty consistently held in it high. It still esteem. holds up.
1: Uh, and you know what? Negatively, I, I was like, yeah. uh, I, I was thinking like I was going to fall asleep during it. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I thought like I, I hadn't seen it in a long time and, I felt like I might fall asleep during the first time I watch this. I might have to rewatch it. And I was, uh, thoroughly compelled. I, I also, uh, rate movies of how, um, drawn in I am by how often I'm on my phone while I'm watching movies. Cause that's a thing that I do all the time that I fucking hate about myself is I'm always on my phone while I'm watching a movie. Cause I'll see an actor and be like, where are they from? This is bothering me. So now I got to look them up I look up their name. And then I find their filmography and then I, then I look up and I've missed shit, but I yeah. wasn't on my phone like at all for this. I was just sat back and, re- and enjoyed it a lot, but
0: yeah. Yeah. It's it's an engaging film. And I know movies of that period again, if unless they're done by master crafts, people like Hitchcock and Polanski and their ilk, Sometimes they're a little hard to follow. So, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, this not, does
1: not suffer from that. It's very easy to follow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, that being said, uh, we're going to start off by talking about the good. And I will start this off at the top. By mentioning our man, Glenn Danzig, incidentally. Uh, Whoa. Not not that he had necessarily a mention that I know of. He might have actually. Uh, we just haven't said his name in quite
1: a while. I mean, I so it's glad him, to see Uncle Glenn back on the pod.
0: He is being uttered. The reason why I bring him up is because there is a show on Shudder. I don't know if you watch watched it at all. Called The Core. Are you, are you no, aware of I don't this? have Shudder. Okay. So. <clears throat> Yeah, Shudder has been like really killing it for me lately with um just their own curated or not not necessarily curated content but like they have uh Shudder specific shows where they have curators and hosts on it that are native to Shudder and they're trying to talk about stuff that they ha- that that they have on Shudder streaming on Shudder but they also have guests um to kind of tie it all together and so I hadn't watched the show The Core at all, but I noticed that they had the latest episode with Danzig on it. <laughs> so of course, I had to watch it. I was like, "Well, if I'm going to have an introduction to the show, it's got to be watching the one with Danzig." And it was great. Of course, I I, I love everything that that guy does. I don't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> but um, one thing Danzig uh, brought up that was great. And I felt really is apt for talking about this film is when Danzig was talking about the use of light and shadow in movies is what really is a particular quality that that always uh, caught his interest with a particular director and cinematographer. He's like, especially with like older movies, black and white movies in particular. Um, when the cinematography effectively uses light and shadow uh, as a, as a, as a noticeable device, then it's usually, it it can usually be pretty intriguing. And I feel like that is the case with Repulsion. It's very, very noticeable um, that this, you know, the intent was to have dramatic shadows and dramatic light in this movie. And, and I talked about, when we had the interview earlier that the cinematographer was also the same guy that worked on, um, Dr. Strange Eleven. that's uh Gilbert Taylor. So very cool there. That's one thing right off the top. I I like the cinematography and the use of, of shadow interplaying with light in this movie. um, uh so that's a, that like I said, I just wanted to be able to uh bring our man dan's again, so he, <laughs> he he actually inspired me when I was watching this movie and having that that discussion in my mind i I was actually more conscientious of paying attention to that aspect of this movie so
1: yeah, and the way the the way the film is shot makes you feel like you're kind of like going mad right alongside Carol, like you're very like there's lots of. Brilliant use of like point of view shots and disorienting like close ups and stuff uh, uh, and the point of view shots definitely put your put the viewer in her shoes, and you, you just feel like you're also like fucking losing it, <laughs> like just watching the movie does a good job of that
0: right, yeah, and that was clearly a very intentional thing that Polansky wanted to do was uh having very dramatic shots that that exaggerated people's facial expressions like carols and things like that, to the point where uh, I was watching, um, there was a commentary or a, a documentary commentary section at the end of the, the DVD. And then there was another like uh, old documentary from like the sixties that talked about the movie um, where he said, yes, I wanted to make sure that there was certain shots distorted Carol, even though like Catherine Deneuve is a beautiful woman uh, almost like angelic and, and that was not very intentional as why she was cast um, but he's like, yeah, I wanted to have these shots that magnified her features in a way that made her grotesque to create that discombobulated uh, feeling that the viewer might have and as the movie progresses and her descent into madness uh, also progresses you see those shots becoming more predominant there's um they play with scale and like her relationship to the, to the apartment and you know as far as like the, the way the hallway looks and the, and the and the and the living room looks like you notice it changes size <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and so yeah so obviously masterful s- cinematography used throughout this whole movie so um, also good good and we kind of talked about this already with uh, um, the synopsis and everything like the discussion is the commentary on this movie as far as what they were trying what he was trying to say or what people could read into it after the fact is really in a lot of ways I very feel very forward thinking and this is a, kind of the odd thing about Polanski that may seem like um, again hard for people to wrap their minds around is that when you put especially the tandem of repulsion and Rosemary's baby back to back. And think about what he was saying that it's, he did, he did a very good job of putting himself in the shoes of what it feels like to be a woman, especially during that era and what they probably had to go through or definitely not probably, but definitely had to go through as far as being more or less subjugated and subservient to men in their in their various roles. So, you know, his analysis of not only toxic ma- masculinity, but also, you know, again, the role of women and how it affects their own mental health with this movie and also with Ro- Rosemary's baby, I feel is, is really cool and, and really like kind of ahead of its time, you know? So that's another big, big uh, thing i like about this movie
1: i had the same yeah i had the same thought literally verbatim had said um that it was very forward thinking it's the film is unique in the respect that it, especially in the like the portrayal of female characters and and femininity uh, it, it's very innovative in the fact that uh there's very few like female killers in movies yeah, I was um just that, that that alone
0: <laughs> right that 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 too also it, it's it was a it's, it's a hallmark of the movie that that made it ahead of its time and that way i felt like it's it's kind of a proto giallo you know or it, it definitely foreshadows uh what was to come with the with the giallo genre yeah
1: cuz we're talking 1965 here so that is super progressive it's crazy to to think about um And, like, and to think about that women in cinema, uh, when they're in that role, are either in a sexploitation, like, rape revenge kind of situation, or some kind of, like, black widow, or, like, a demonic possession. So, they're, like, it's, like, an out-of-body kind of murder thing, but never, like, straight up, just, (laughs) they are the killer.
0: Um They are more or less in possession of their faculties while they're doing, I mean, clearly with the case with, with Carol, she's, she's losing her mind. She's descending into madness. But yeah. She's also
1: not just the killer in the respect like... It's not like uh, Friday, Friday the 13th or whatever. It's not like a Pamela Voorhees situation. She's the killer as well as the person you're you're rooting for in the movie. She's right. like the antagonist and protagonist all at once. It's, it's
0: weird. Right. Because the way the... So you have what I feel are different aspects of of the toxic masculinity spectrum that are being portrayed with the the three um, main male characters in this. And yeah, you, you yeah you have no sympathy for any of them. You might start off with like an inkling of sympathy for Colin. Colin is the the, the suitor of Carol, but yeah, but
1: then once he <laughs> once he kicks her door down and is like. What's your problem? Then, right. Yeah, that goes out the fucking window.
0: Right. So you have with Carol's sister's boyfriend, Michael. You have him being condescending and basically do- uh, treating Carol as a child by you know pinching her cheek and you know patronizing her and and also like he into himself. He's he's a, a philandering, like you know he's 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 a um, an adulterer. So you have that aspect of of you know, whatever, like bad, bad men, men being bad, portrayed through him. And then you have Colin, who is what I would what I call like the nice guy, quote unquote. He's a nice guy. He he doesn't understand why Carol doesn't want to date him or hang out with him or fuck him or whatever. So he's just persistent. You know, he's and,
1: almost the most insidious.
0: Yes. Which because is, you
1: have a, a creepy fucking rapey landlord. Too.
0: Right. Yeah, so I was going to say, yeah, with the, the nice guy thing is is usually in a lot of ways the most insidious of those kind of characters. It's because, like a proto-incel. Absolutely. Yeah, S- soft boy, fuck boy, incel, whatever. That's what Colin represents. And then, yeah, like you said, then you have the landlord who is this ex- who exemplifies the older the older man using a position of power to subjugate a woman or to manipulate a woman to do what he wants. Basically.
1: I didn't think of it until we have, we had this discussion, which I think we do a lot. I didn't think of them as almost like a, uh, um, almost like a, like three pillars of what, of what women have to go through in their uh, relationships with men. You have like the doting asshole, uh, that treats her like a child. You have the night insidious nice guy who uses his good looks and charms, uh, eh, to, you know, woo her, but is confused as to why he, she wouldn't possibly want to fuck him. And then you just have the position of authority of someone flexing, that authority uh, as a means of getting something out of it. So in in a lot of ways, she's, she's (laughs) going through the the gambit of, of awful men.
0: (laughs) Right. And, and also it's, it's kind of implied with the, uh, the family photograph too, that, you know, this all kind of started this, this melodrama started with her childhood and is implied that, you know, she might be a, you know, a, a trauma victim of, what would be abuse from her father. So it's, you know, that's the through line we have here is, you know, why she's repulsed by men, not only because she was, you know, clearly betrayed and, and, and was abused by the most important male figure in her life. Uh, But then, you know, she's continually being, you know, abused in micro and major ways throughout her life that just kind of, intensifies that repulsion and and it's a feedback loop that's you know that women women have to deal with all the time almost every woman that i know of has to deal with this that that is oh yeah the the life of a woman is is navigating this minefield of awful fucking men from the day they're born until the day they die (laughs) (laughs) what a life so yeah so there you go you know that's that's really you know what uh, i feel like is really striking and the biggest takeaway from this movie in a lot of ways um also um the symbolism that is you know peppered throughout the movie um i feel like the thing is like (sighs) what's cool about this movie with the symbolism is in a lot of ways it's it's kind of just put right there in your face you don't necessarily have to um, really scrutinize the movie and kind of come up with your own sort of like analysis as to what certain things mean they're 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 uh, they're very obvious like the the cracks in the walls that mimic Carol's own inner psyche cracking um and how that progresses and then for me, like also there's her constantly looking out and watching the nuns in the nunnery play and you know the you know the idea of you know purity and 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 things like that and female purity quote unquote um there's also the uh the use of the rabbit throughout the movie uh, and the dying decaying rabbit and for me you know a rabbit is symbolic of what would be considered fecundity um sexuality you know whatever and just the fact that you know it's 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 just dying and decaying and collecting flies throughout the movie and then of course you know it is inevitably its head is cut off uh with a straight razor by carol and she you know carries it around in her in her purse to work <laughs> it's
1: like a like a a, a hair's foot or whatever
0: yeah and so what's my really lucky coo- dead rabbit. head? <laughs> yeah. My lucky dead rabbit. Um, what's cool about that too, the, the inner uh, interplay of the, uh, the rabbit and the, the razor, the straight razor. Uh, and it's funny because I read this actually after like, I watched the movie and had, it just was like kind of a natural thought that I had was to me, that was a, a very, very apt nod to surrealism and boom. Well, And, you know, the, the, again, the interplay of the symbolism of the, of the, the straight razor with the, uh, with the the dead rabbit I thought was interesting. Um, and like I said, whether it was intentional or not, um, you know, that was Polanski's nod to surrealism and surrealist cinema. And even like, are you uh,
1: referencing when the, the Boonwell, uh, because does he he does the uh, the eyeball with the with the straight razor like uh, the, slowly yeah. coming towards it or whatever
0: uh, the Shindu Andal Andalou yeah
1: hmm. yeah the Shindu Andalu. yeah yeah
0: yeah so I feel like that was a nod to that that was an homage ah, and I also, like that yeah and also to uh, French symbolism uh, just again just symbolism and surreality in general so that was like kind of a, a subtle little nod. That's what's cool about this movie is again, it's like, it's a movie that you can watch on a literal level and be enjoyable, but you can extract these. And these, then you can watch it
1: on a subliminal level. Yeah. Right. There's
0: these, these, these sublim, uh, there's these, these subliminal little or, uh, tchotchkes, so to speak, or whatever, or like, uh, emblems that are peppered throughout the movie. So yeah. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add to this? Uh,
1: this is a side note two two different kinds of side notes, just observations that I loved. Um, I did not know if you knew this about me, but I am like the fucking biggest Charlie Chaplin fan. I, I did not know that. love Charlie Chaplin. Um, yeah. and there is a, uh, description of Carol. Carol's coworker goes to see, uh, what's clearly the gold rush. Right. Um, yeah. Cause she's describing, uh, Uh, Charlie Chaplin, the scene in the gold rush where they, they are like looking at each other, um, like about to eat each other. Um, so I really loved that, that nod to the gold rush. And it's not like, I went to see the gold rush. Like it's it's just like undercover. Like she's clearly just describing the plot of it without like saying the name of the movie. Um, so I love that Charlie Chaplin reference. Uh, my girl, Helen, Carol's uh, sister is just chilling in the living room, watching, casually watching some professional wrestling.
0: Oh, shit. I totally missed that. That's great. Yeah, I yeah, did not notice yeah, that at all.
1: just like zoned out watching <laughs> professional wrestling. Uh, so that was tight. And I really like the hands coming out of the wall. And it made me think, did Day of the Dead specifically reference this movie? Because at the beginning of Day of the Dead, uh, she has that dream sequence where all the hands are coming out of the yeah. wall. It's so like specific to that that I wonder if Romero did that on purpose. But I, I'm not.
0: I, f- I feel like I believe he would. That seems like something he would do. It seems so specific, right? Like hands just coming out of the
1: fucking wall. Um, so I I like that. I think the dream sequences, like the 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 sexual, uh, well, they're just rape sequences, basically, are like truly unnerving and nightmare fodder. And all the music kind of drops out, and there's just a the background is just like a ticking clock. Like I love. Um, I love the use of all of that just sound and uh, the playing with the shadows in those scenes is really, is really fucked up and dis disorienting and and makes you feel like what she would probably feel in those moments. Um, yeah, that's, that's about all I had for good uh, outside of agreeing with everything you've said so far.
0: Yeah. And I, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the soundtrack and the sound design because yeah. it's, it's, it's so sparse and subtle, but so effective. Um, there is a lot of, you know, music throughout the movie. And and that's the thing in those intense, dramatic, traumatic scenes, like the rape scenes. It's funny. Cause like in, in a lot of movies, you would just expect there to be like some sort of like very intense, almost like, you know, screeching string based sort of music, you know, but, P- Polanski almost intentionally did the opposite, where th- and it makes it even more unnerving. Where it's like it's this like it's this dense, quiet that is. It's penetra- more effective that way, right? That is penetrated by those sounds and uh, by the the ticking clock and the, the bells ringing and the heart thumping. Because um, I really feel like
1: all what in the in that instance, everything kind of falls out of favor and you're just in that moment with the, uh, the ambience of like, of what is in the room, the, the, uh, bells from the convent, a ticking clock. It's rape isn't like necessarily through, through music. It doesn't have to be this like pow, right. damn violent, fast music. It's, it's more so actually that it's just like, void of all feeling like you're just like numb.
0: Yeah. And also I would add the phone ringing. So like all these sounds in the movie are ex- they're exemplifying what is basically an intrusion um into Carol's mind in the yeah. same way that like men, men are an, an intrusion, you know, she's trying to keep them out, you know, <laughs> she's trying to keep literally
1: them. and figuratively. Yeah,
0: right. So you know, the, they are emblematic of this intrusion that's happening on, on her psyche. Um, and even when there is actual music used, it's really cool. In fact, and I wanted to say that like, this is one of the rare movies and where uh, jazz is a, a rare horror movies. I should say where jazz is a, is employed and I don't mind it. Um, Cause I don't have anything against jazz as, as a genre. I like some jazz just fine. But there's definitely like especially like in Slockier seventies movies that I've watched where they try to use jazz in certain spots and it's just like it's completely out of place and it's just annoying <laughs> it's goofy and corny yeah um but this is an an example of like you know when she's walking through the city you know it's it's showing the the cityscapes and like the hustle and bustle it it it's it it makes sense um and it and it gives Uh, a little bit of a light light interplay. That's what I was
1: going to say. It's a nice break from the insanity of when she gets back to the apartment.
0: (laughs) Right. And again, you know, that coupled with when she's outside, it's clearly much brighter. You know, again, uh, that use of light and shadow uh, to paint, you know, this picture that's going on in her life. So, um, yeah. So those are pretty much what i've got for all my goods um as far as bads go i mean i really don't have any there's some like questions i have a little bit but i mean bad i don't have a lot to say about this movie i hope you do because i, I want to be able to fill this category up a little bit
1: well my bad is more so like the bad that we usually do where we're like talking about people being bad at their job or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so i have yeah. no problem with these actors like these the, the acting that they did was was great. Mm-hmm. Um, But like Colin's buddies at the pub, like, have clearly never brought a woman to orgasm and it shows. And they're like bad friends, yes. definitely bad lovers, uh-huh. and just generic dipshits. Like, every scene with them is fucking stupid. Like, they're so, they're such fucking boneheads. First of yeah. all, I can't understand what they're saying half the time. And it, it they're like, I don't, I, I don't understand. They're like egging Kel- Colin on to just like fucking, catch that prize pussy fish. I don't know <laughs> what their fucking deal is. Cause they clearly have never even kissed a fucking girl before. Neither one of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. His friends are awful, but that just goes again with the whole idea that just men are awful. You know, even the the most benign of them are like horrible in this world.
1: I mean, I guess basically the, the bad that I have is just like all the men in this movie are, are bad at being men and that there are good men out there, but they're not portrayed in this movie. That's fine. I mean, every Colin is bad as a suitor His buddies are bad at being friends. The landlord is bad at being a fucking landlord. The potential brother-in-law is just bad at fucking being a family member. Uh, I mean, yeah, every, I guess come away with this movie, Men Are Bad. <laughs> men, men are bad. That is that's the this movie this consensus. movie could just be
0: called Men Are Bad. Men are awful. Um uh, men are bad. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say too, and again, this you know, yeah, this is no this is not a value judgment on the performance. In fact, this is you know, me citing this movie as being very actual to true life. Um <laughs> as far as covering up uh, her her wrongdoings and being a murderess uh Carol is very bad at that in fact um it, it reminded me of a discussion I had actually with uh with Charlotte about this movie called angst. Are you familiar with this movie i've never
1: mm, i don't think I've seen it
0: okay so this movie uh it was an eighties movie that and it's actually quite good she likes it much more than I do, but it's been cited as being one of the more um uh uh, I guess what somebody would consider more true to the actions and mind of what would be uh criminally insane uh, serial killers uh, life or how they would be. And basically it portrays this guy who he went to prison for murdering people. He gets let out because he was put in there. Um, for by reasons of insanity, essentially. And, uh, he immediately gets out and just goes straight to somebody's house and murders his whole family. Uh, as soon as he gets let out, he actually, on the way to the family's house, he tries to kill the cab driver. So he's just somebody that is just like completely compelled to murder. Um, uh, there's just no way to re- rehabilitate him. Uh, but throughout the movie, when he's murdering his victims, he does just the most sloppy, Shitty job. Like he, he, he's, he's barely able to actually even restrain his victims. Um, and to me, this move with her being, uh, you know, a murderer in this movie, it, it, it was similar to that. Where this is what would actually happen if somebody that was criminally insane or schizophrenic would murder somebody. There would be no methodology whatsoever. They would have no idea how to cover it up. And so it's like when she killed Colin, you know, it's like it's almost like there's this, when you see the shot of her killing Colin from a, from looking at her face, there's almost like this kind of like, it's not necessarily disinterest, but it's almost like, I don't know. Dis-
1: disconnected.
0: Yeah. There's this like from the innocent, act. innocent disconnected where she's like, it, 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 it's like, she's bopping him on the head. She's not bludgeoning him. She's just pop pop. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and, uh, you know, and then she just like takes like whatever, like, uh, uh I what I can't remember what it was like a like a book or something like and just like wipes off the blood off of the uh off of the the door and then just deposits the body in the in the uh bathtub and then when she kills the landlord just shoves him under the couch and there you go <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah, so Carol definitely had a very short-lived career as as a murderer. Yeah,
1: she's a bad, but she's in the serial killer serial killer annals for sure. Just yeah, yeah didn't wasn't good at uh, uh, longevity there.
0: <laughs> yes, there's a pump and a dump, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure
1: with all the with all the sexual violence in this movie, we want
0: to call anything. I'm gonna dump. <laughs> did, like, <laughs> did, you, did you like that yeah um, um questions as far as questions um there was just some like s- there was some choices made to have certain <laughs> devices and um characters minor characters throughout the movie that i was just trying to derive my own meaning from um One was there is the scene where on the streets, there is the troop of spoon player, banjo player, like buskers. And there's a long shot that's kind of held on them as if I were made to feel like they have some sort of significance to the overall story. So I just kind of wrote that down. I don't know if you had any, any sort of,
1: no, well, I wrote down similar things, but you've already gone over all of them. Mm -hmm because i I wrote down for questionable i said there's lots of motifs going on in this there's like there's like this is the motif of all motif movies just just like constantly something that's that's uh
0: has a significance to it
1: yeah and they ring that bell over and over again and you're like what the fuck is this and then but then (laughs) you purposely see it again so like the cracks the crack in the sidewalk and the cracks in the wall i could see being like uh it's it kind of insanity setting in or like literally you know going crack mad or whatever mm-hmm. uh i didn't understand the convent and the bells chiming so i understand what that was a good explanation as to like a a purity from a purity standpoint um yeah. the dead rabbit is definitely a motif the family picture um is definitely a motif as well as that like, yeah, like Louisiana <laughs> Beale street band or, or Bourbon street band <laughs> that, right. that's shown. I, that's the only one that's the most ambiguous one. The other ones are, have very concrete, uh, significance, but yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't really catch what that was supposed to be.
0: Well, one thing I wanted to talk about too, I guess this goes along with the good as well as far as symbology or any sort of motifs that you know the, the viewer can take from this movie is um, when I was researching about this, they were saying how the cinematographer, or the DP, whatever, uh, to research for the movie actually went to their female friend's flats uh, to photograph the way uh flats of young women uh in London looked at the at the time because uh, the the d p was saying um a lot of people involved with the movie like the producers like they were all like old men, so they they were old married men that had no idea how young women lived at that time, and um so to me that was really good that they actually did that sort of research instead of trying to like you know from their own male perspective think well, this is how women look and he was saying how like yeah we went to these women's places, and they were like middle class women for their age, and they were all disgusting like covels <laughs> and so that's why you know that apartment looks the way it does it's you know it's it's uh, you know it's kind of a a divy shit- shitty little apartment. I like uh, that though yeah <laughs> um but what I want to say too, as far as uh the two sisters, to me, the two sisters also represent what would be considered different i guess polarities of uh female agency or sexuality and I think that's even represented not only in their actions but like in the way they look where you have Catherine Anu Carol is the blonde angelic kind of gossamer light young woman and then you have her sister Helen who has a dark hair with a very like you know distinctly kind of uh, piercing eyes and she's obviously the more wanton if you will uh, um, of the two Has has expressed her sexual agency with, you know, you know, you know, without any regard to being, you know, uh, critic, you know, what would be considered like, you know, criticism. So yeah. she, she's, she's, she's a woman of her age in the sense that she's, a, she's she's representing the forefront of femininity during that time. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, I just wanted to pull that in as far as having a discussion about any sort of like themes and symbology throughout the movie. Um, yeah. Some other questions I had, uh, was there's the scene where, um, Carol looks into the mirror and then there's the dark figure that's there for a brief moment. I wasn't able to find this out. I look, cause I know that Polanski has a cameo in the movie. Uh, the, the cameo that I read was he was one of the spoon players, but like, to me, it looked like those were all old men. Uh, but to me, it looked like in that brief moment that that was Polanski in the mirror, but I'm not sure. I don't know if you were able to, I didn't,
1: find that, um, <laughs> I, that's a good question is who is in that mirror. And by the way, that's like, is that like the first, the world's first jump scare? <laughs> that's like a <laughs> great, that's a great scene. She flips yeah. that, uh, that, uh, I think it's like a bedroom closet or something. Yeah. Uh, and the mirrors on the back of it. Yeah. I love that she flips it and then he's in it for a brief second. And the mirror, the, the, the music is just like piercing for a, a second. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I put any um, thought into it outside of thinking that it was Colin, not in reality, but in her, uh, like in her kind of mental reality.
0: Yeah, Yeah, maybe
1: she had him on his on her mind or something. I have no idea.
0: Right, but it did look like in that brief moment that it was Palazzi. But again, could have been. That's that's. that's, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll find that out. Um, Yeah. So other than that, you know that's that's pretty much it you know i just had more questions about the, some of the symbolism and things like that
1: but um, those are the biggest questions because there's a lot of that going on but um we've answered i think as many of them as as we could
0: yeah well so let's move on then we're gonna move on to our words uh category of uh section of the show then Maybe you want your face pushed in? here take your hands off oh, me for heaven's sake relax and take a joke hit me on something now look boy you've got it bad look you see he's been in the sun too long look it was only a joke there's no need to bloody well start going on like Cassius Clay all over the place A joke boy joke fellas fellas please if you go on like this you will be over for your time look relax take it easy enjoy life yeah so as I was saying Uh before uh when I was watching this this time, a lot of the lions, you know, they, they gave me a certain sensation because even though I hadn't watched this movie in so long, uh, they were very vivid to me. Um, and so much so that I feel like they've been embedded in my consciousness that I'll just think of them like randomly, you know, from time to time throughout my life. So it was, it, it was really fun to actually, Uh, get to re-experience that but uh, this actually movie has like a lot of like a quirky funny little quotes to me Um, uh, for one I really like that discussion uh, that Colin and Carol are having there when they're talking about going out on a date and there's a discussion about uh, whether they're going to have dinner together and Carol says no I'm having dinner with my sister and And he's like, what are you doing? I think, I think we're having rabbit. And he says, rabbit. Oh, I thought they'd all been killed off. And then there's some other, like other lions, like, like Carol's like, Oh, we we got them from our friend of ours. And and Colin just says, Oh, poor bunny. It's just this weird, really weird, uh, awkward interaction that, you know, anybody who has dated, I wouldn't say extensively, but has had, had to go on, you know, several dates or have any sort of like, you know, unfortunate, um, history of having to deal with his mating rituals that we go through. To me, it was funny because that that's a thing that you will, you will have to interact with people. Like if you're yeah, trying,
1: just like non sequiturs. And... Yeah. If
0: you're, if you're trying to be a suitor to somebody and you're, you know, you're unsure of yourself and you really like somebody and you're just at a loss of like good things to say, You will totally say something dumb like rabbit. Oh, I thought they'd been killed off. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's very it's very real.
1: It doesn't feel scripted.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I really like that a lot. Um another one is Carol says, uh, I must get this crack mended. Of course, there's some foreshadowing of that. Again, talking about the crack as a as a recurring symbol throughout the movie. Um and then another one was, uh, before Michael and Helen go on their, uh, their summer, their vacation to Italy, Michael, uh, he does that, uh, you know, the, the finger gun kind of thing. <laughs> and he's just like, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Well, well, she's going to do a lot of things that you probably wouldn't do. Michael. Um, let's see what else, um, <laughs> as, deplorable and disgusting of an individual uh that the uh landlord is he actually has some pretty good one-liners throughout uh that little uh uh that scene that he's in with carol uh one of them is i thought i'd seen everything this is a flaming nut house talking about the <laughs> the, the, the 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 state of their apartment the disarray of the, the disarray yeah. of the apartment and then the other one is when he sees the the, the dead bunny rabbit on the plate and he just goes in the dustbin with you, my lad. And then just (laughs) dumps dumps the bunny. (laughs) Someone has
1: weird funny things to say about the rabbit. That's weird.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, and that's why I mean like a rabbit, the rabbit is another like central symbol throughout the movie that it it just definitely keeps getting talked about. So, those were some of mine. Did you have any that were not on my list? I
1: had one that literally made me fucking laugh out loud, and it's from an unlikely source, Miss <laughs> bulk. I need. I had to look up her name, because I didn't even know who she was. She's just a customer at the at the nail salon. Yeah,
0: I think I know where you're going. Um, this one I actually had too. But you did know, you? Yeah, but go ahead.
1: Uh, in reference to men, yes. they're all the same, just like <laughs> children. They want to be spanked and then given sweets. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs>
0: I love that. Yeah, That's, super that's good. such a
1: good line. Cause I do, I just want to every night before bed, cat of nine tails spanking <laughs> and one of those like, uh, Halloween, uh, self, uh, like self-serve, uh, Skittle bags.
0: <laughs> just, just like, like you're kind of flagellating yourself while Skittling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tasting the rainbow <laughs> and tasting the pain.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so those were basically all I had. Uh, I guess uh, that's it then. You want to move on? Yes. Uh, with this one, did you spot yourself a dick? I sort of did, I guess. but I did not. This okay. is a
1: tough movie to pick a dick. Um, I looked up some people and thought they could possibly fit, but right. ultimately just came up with nobody. So what did yeah, you come up with?
0: That's the same. Like I, I basically had theoretical dicks. <laughs> 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 um, one of them was Ian. Uh, no, sorry. Not, well, Ian Henry was one of them who played Colin, but um, more so I would say uh, Patrick Weimar who played the landlord only because I had seen other movies he'd been in. Uh, he's in blood on the uh, blood on Satan's claw. Um which uh it's funny we we're cause we were talking about cult movies earlier. Blood on Satan's Claw was on list of like prominent uh cult related satanic cult oh. witch cult related movies. Um Blood on Satan's Claw. I, I feel like it's one of the, it's it's a hammer-esque movie. I don't know if it's necessarily it was put out by Hammer Studios, but it's one of those movies that um the title alone, I feel like gets u- utilized. <laughs> yeah, that's a
1: great title. <sighs>
0: it's a great title, and I watched it years ago. And honestly, I was kind of bored to death by it. It's it's a it's it's a kind of a slow moving, seventies uh, occult thriller. Um, maybe I'll go back and rewatch it. But he's in that, and let's see what else. He also is in the movie Witchfinder General. He plays Cromwell. It's, I'm pretty sure I've seen that too. There, see, the thing is, I've seen a lot of those type of movies, like either those hammer deep cuts or kind of hammer knockoff sort of movies, like, you know, witch trial, occult, satanic cult movies. Um, I've seen so many of them. And honestly, there's a lot of them that they just don't. They don't sink in for me. <laughs> they all
1: blur together. I, that that hammer stuff is hit or miss for the most part.
0: Sure. And I, and I'll watch it. I'll watch any of it just because, um, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah. So anyways, so that is my theoretical dick is Patrick Weimar.
1: Cool. Yeah. Uh, th- again, this was a toughie. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: I would also say also not a clear cut, uh, uh, front runner for the next uh category which is the the bill paxton category um
1: so i looked up bill paxton's birthday may 7th 1955 he would have been 10 years old when this movie came uh, out all right. but if we were to do some uh time machining here if no. we were to put a young bill paxton in this movie that's kind of the way i thought of right it. exactly um i just put i just put uh, that he would have been a great dickhead boyfriend to helen I feel like yes. that would have been a good role for him.
0: Yeah, that was my front runner. I said maybe as a second uh, role, Colin, but I think he would, he would fit more comfortably into the role of, of, Helen, of Michael, Helen's boyfriend.
1: I could see him finger gunning uh, Carol and being like, I'm going to show your sister the Leaning Tower of Paxton. Yeah, I could see him fucking doing that.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, and then Trifecta. You had your Trifecta. I have mine. I think yours is a little bit different than mine. But go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I simply just put down his um, apartment trilogy, even though they're not uh, consecutive. I think his, I think what he'll be known for outside of the pedophilia <laughs> and the rape charges yeah. will be this apartment trilogy. Repulsion in 1965, Rosemary's Baby in 1968, and The Tenant in 1976. I think that is uh, the foundation of his filmmaking um, and it's, it's what people may be his most recognizable in terms of movies outside of Chinatown. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's what he will be known for, uh, ultimately. And, yeah. and I love those movies. They're all in the same ilk. It's a good trilogy. Uh, that's untraditional, kind of like a carpenter or, a. a Argento kind of trilogy where it's just Mm -hmm. it's only a trilogy in theme rather than in character and you know the same story it's just a a thematic trilogy which I like those kinds
0: yeah it's very cool and I you know I pretty much agree with you I guess the only reason why I chose this was because of chronology and I I picked Repulsion Rosemary's Baby in Chinatown
1: when does Chinatown come out
0: Chinatown came out before the Tenant. Okay. So, so that makes
1: that's a tighter trifecta. That's but tighter. yeah.
0: But in terms of consistency, you know, yes, the and and for obvious reasons, the apartment trilogy, I feel like is yes, the the trifecta that I would go with as well. Tight. Okay. Body count. This is an easy one. It's actually kind of weird because the I counted two. There's two but um when i watched the subsequent uh extra documentary uh for the movie on on the dvd like i said there was uh one documentary from the 60s it was a french documentary where they were discussing the making of the movie um and when they're they're actually talking to people on set as it's being made and Catherine Deneuve says that there's three victims. I have three. Okay. So there's a female victim. Well, do, I, I assume uh, she's dead. Okay. So, but I don't think she is. She's in a catatonic she, state. She's not dead.
1: Yeah. So, okay. But that yes. makes, I mean, it's two, uh, possibly three. Yeah.
0: Two, possibly three.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. That makes but sense. As far as uh, by, uh, 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 by her own hand, there's only two.
1: I thought she just succumbed to succumbed to. uh <laughs> I guess yeah. I guess you can't just fucking die of delirium. But I I don't know. I wrote three because I was like, oh, and she's dead. <laughs> I didn't put any thought into it. But yeah, the the correct answer would be two, possibly three. There's a mysterious uh, question of a third death. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I, with the last episode, I. Just kinda of threw this in here as a joke, but I'll bring it back to you. There is uh we could possibly tack on a skin nudie factor to this, but it's it's very it's it's very slim pickings in this one for a lot of obvious reasons. But um if we did want to go down that route, there's some oh, well, I'll get into this with the trivia actually, but there is orgasming. Um, there's off screen orgasming and there is the part where Carol. Is found after a night of hallucination on the floor, basically nude with with a like a bed a, sheet or a bed sheet covering her. So real, yeah. real real low real low on the nudie factor. But when again I, I on the trivia here, uh, also notable. So I guess that's a good segue into the trivia, right? Yes, absolutely. And right at the top of the trivia, this movie is the first feature uh, to depict a female orgasm to be passed by the British Board of Film Censors. <laughs> that's a cool little fact. Yeah. Oh, I like that. So that made it through the, the, the Queen approved. So be it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a weird... Uh, that's an oddly... I'm trying
1: to think... Yeah, it's the forebearer of that then. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I like that.
0: Those Brits, they're, they're an uptight bunch. Did you... This is a,
1: a completely side note. Do you know what the first television flush ever heard on television was?
0: You know, I... <laughs> I had just actually read or heard about this recently, but please uh, remind me. Well, now it's... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I do know. What it's, is it? it's, it's Hitchcock, right? I thought...
1: See, now I'm questioning myself. Okay. <laughs> so never mind. this. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Got this fun fact out. I was actually thinking of do you know what the first portrayal of a male and a female on the same bed on television is?
0: I I knew this so for the
1: longest time they were in single beds. Yeah, I, <laughs> like I a did creepy, know this at one
0: point, but I couldn't. Creepy tried. Mike
1: Pence like mom and dad relationship. <laughs> uh, the Flintstones is the first fucking show to Ooh. show two two uh, a man and woman in bed together.
0: Who would have thunk it? That
1: the and I think I think Married with Children is the toilet flush, but I didn't want to fucking go there that far. I I'm I I really do think so (laughs) on television.
0: On television, yeah, I don't think so. I I could be
1: wrong. I could be wrong, but that's why I that's why I uh, withdrew my comment because I was like, you know what? I'm actually thinking of the Flintstones (laughs) fact, but
0: (laughs) yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, sorry. We'll have, go we'll ahead. Have to, we'll have to figure that out. Um. Uh, the next point I had, we've already talked about this. This is the uh the, the first of the apartment trilogy. So whatever. Um, they're actually this is that's pretty lean on the trivia. I will say. Oh, you're going to come in and say something? It's all in the family. <laughs> there you go. That makes sense. Sorry. Yeah. All in the family. All. Basically, a proto married with children. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that was the first Toilet Flush. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm I'm glad. I I wanted to know because it was like there in the back of my mind um, and I couldn't remember. Uh, So the production studio that released this was uh, Compton Pictures and it was known primarily up to that point for making softcore, softcore pornography. Really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. This is their
1: first foray into an actual... Mainstream
0: movie? Well, yeah, in, in a non uh, sure genre. Sure, yeah, because uh, even though it's funny, because <clears throat> Polanski had had success with Knife in the Water, it, it was actually not, uh, he was awarded an Oscar for it, um, but he had trouble finding a, a studio to release this. He he shopped it around to the major outlets, and they all turned their nose up at it. So he went with this this rinky-dink little porn studio and they're like yeah we i mean obviously you know they they saw an opportunity there with this movie that's the thing like, you know that's what's cool about when you read about the history of horror there is definitely this um hand-in-hand link it has with the porn industry for a lot of reasons yeah expo- exploitation industry the so,
1: subservient nature of <laughs> the underground nature of uh, yeah of both it, cinemas
0: well and just like the audience that that You know, they cater to, you know, this being like, um, uh, whatever, a fringe or outliers uh, in a lot of ways, audience, um, or transgressive for that matter. So there's a lot of overlap clearly between the two industries Yeah, And, and we're all the better for it. I'll tell you what. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I do like that. I do like that symbiotic relationship. Um, also, let's see. Premiere voted this movie as one of the 25 most dangerous movies of all time.
1: What is else is on that list? I want to see the top three on that bad boy.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take a gander at what else was on it. But um, let's see. Oh, actually, real quick, I'm gonna check my messages because there was another little uh, tidbit of trivia that I wanted to. Figure out before I did this, and I I sent a message to uh, the person. Uh, Okay, sick. So I got I got a uh, text uh, back. So I had texted um, Matt, uh, uh, Olivia, who's the guitar player for the band Repulsion, the grind band. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because I'm I'm acquainted with him, or not like buds by any means, but I know him. Um, I'm actually acquainted with every member of that band um at different degrees so i before we started uh talking i sent him a message real quick and i was like i could have swore that i read that this movie was an influence on the reason why you guys changed your name and he said yeah he just sent me a a text uh, or a message and said yeah that's that that movie was an influence on us changing the name from genocide to repulsion.
1: Damn. That's tight. By the way, that premiere uh most dangerous movies list. One is Weekend by Jean-Luc Godard, I've not seen. Yeah, I've not seen uh, that. Two is Un uh, andalu, which is funny that we talked about yeah. it, and three is Romper Stomper.
0: <laughs> I mean, I could Yeah, I mean those are those are subversive movies for different reasons. Um, so I can, I can understand why. Um, so let's see here, where are we at? Um, so anyways, so that wraps up our awards and categories. Uh, we're going to now, uh, do what we got to do. We're going to assign a rating to this movie. Um, so as with every movie, we need to come up with some sort of iconography for this movie. Um, and I think I know, so I feel like we gravitate towards this, this, uh, this. So we of, definitely came
1: up with the same thing here.
0: Yeah. So out of five dead rabbits. Yes. Yeah, so I had butchered skinned rabbits. Yeah. Out of, it was either going to be out of five dead rabbits or out of, uh, five straight razors, which I think we've already used straight razors for the, uh, for the phenomena
1: movie or. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, five rabbits. It, it's obvious.
0: Oh, oh, real quick too. <laughs> mm-hmm i'll I don't know i'll I'll figure out if I want to leave this in uh a correction that I need to make oh, a, okay. a slight correction um when I was talking about uh, us uh having a conversation about this this movie on the last episode i was i had explained that this was our uh second movie um that we were talking about that was not during the eighties uh the other one um being cliffhanger but i was wrong and it's stupid because it was for the most uh obviously we had just done an episode on castle freak so both cliffhanger and castle freak were done in the 90s this is our first movie that we've discussed from the 60s so anyway, yes i just wanted to clarify that that i i was aware that that castle freak was uh was released in the 90s just so people don't sure. think i'm a fucking idiot okay so anyways out of five dead skinned, headless, decapitated rabbits, <laughs> what would you give this movie? Four. I would give it four out of five. We give this four. Okay, I would give it five. Uh, like I said, this is one of my favorite movies. Actually, perfect score. This is, bum, bum, I, bum, this is yeah. This is a second one in the row for me because Near Dark also a five out of five. Both both very personal, near and dear movies to me. More, this this one more so, but yes, sure. I I
1: don't have any reasoning for not giving it a five other than, uh, the replay value isn't through the roof for me. I would watch it again, but, um, a five would have is obviously has to be flawless. And and this isn't something that I I would return to often. Um, so I, I would give it four and I would give Rosemary's baby a four and a half
0: yeah and like i said that's where obviously we differ whereas there was a point in my life where this movie got a lot of replay out of me sure <laughs> for that my makes own sense. weird so insane obsessive reasons um uh, and as far as uh whether or not this is a midnight movie where would you uh give this on the clock 10 p.m 10 p.m yeah i would say about that 10 10 this is you know you know, this doesn't have, I mean, it has a couple graphic moments, obviously, especially It might for be
1: the, number 14 on premieres, 25 most dangerous movies, but it is uh, not too dangerous for a 10 o'clock uh, sli- slot on, what channel do you think this would air on? I feel like sci-fi would show this shit,
0: what, which do is, th- do you think this would be on the, on the movie channel? What, like AMC? Yeah, AMC. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I could
1: it's but, but it's so subversive that I actually don't see it being on TV.
0: No, definitely wouldn't be on regular s- but I feel like it would yeah, if if so 10 o'clock
1: would be fine. It could be uh, from 10 to midnight. It be would be like, the perfect
0: uh, slot. Yeah, be on like Turner Classics or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um Pat, it's your turn to pick. What are we watching next time? So I have chosen um, The
1: Sound of My Daughter's Laughter is cacophonous in the other room and it is (laughs) making me giddy. (laughs) As giddy as this movie makes me, it is going to be our largest budget movie that we might ever do. Yeah. Uh, Critically panned across the fucking board. As a child, I loved it. I didn't know that it was even something that people didn't like. We're watching Kevin Costner's fucking big flop hit Waterworld. That's
0: great. And, uh, I will say, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, a movie that I have never seen.
1: This is a f- <laughs> well, strap in my friend. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's got a, and I, now I'm even more curious because I'm curious from somebody's perspective of 2020 watching Waterworld. I just watched it as a child, like all the fucking time. So my, from my perspective, I'm coming from it as pure nostalgia. I, I fucking love that movie. I, and I, it's not something I'd watch as a kid and didn't watch again. I, I, I watch it like every year. Uh, and, I, and this is somebody that we don't talk about very often, but I feel like we both are on the same wavelength with, with different actors. But Dennis Hopper is in it. And he has given you pure Hopper. <laughs> I mean, he is all over this fucking movie. It is great
0: he is, he is a real treasure. He was a real treasure. So I, I delight in just the idea of seeing him in, in any movie. So fantastic. I'm in excited. our second,
1: our second nineties movie.
0: Third, be
1: the third one. Oh, what the uh, castle Clif- freak, this and <laughs> cliffhanger and cliffhanger. That's right. Yeah. And damn water came out in 95, which is castle freak came out in 95. Right. Uh, and, I'm looking up cliffhanger. Oh, cliffhanger is 93. That would have been wild. 95 would have been become my, my favorite year for film of all time. If that, if that, if those moons aligned, but no Waterworld, 1995. Uh, I'm very excited because I actually haven't seen it in in a grip. I haven't seen it this year. (laughs) That's for sure.
0: Well, again, I've never seen it. And it's been one of those movies that I've been meaning to see my whole life, but You know, I I get particular about things I choose to watch and choose to waste my time on. And so it's just one of those things where I'm like, do I really want to waste my time with this? But that's why this
1: podcast rules because we, you know, make each other.
0: I'm forced to watch it. I, I forced you to watch Streets of Fire. Now you're forcing me to watch Waterworld. So fantastic.
1: I'm glad to get back out of the horror realm and into some uh, the the meat of our other of our other cultural stews that make up the Midnight Flicks podcast.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We 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 need to make sure that we're uh, striking a balance, not being too horror heavy. As as much as I want it to be that way, but you know, we and this we,
1: is just big dick grandiose like uh, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, like fucking <laughs> like big set, big dick, um, classic Hollywood. Swing and a miss movie.
0: Yes. I love it. Okay. This has been another deep dive in a Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by none other than the band Repulsion. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That is midnightflixpod or hit us up on Instagram at MidnightFlixPod. For co-host Patrick Mitchell, I am Adam Walker, and we're gonna see you in the water next time, Bungaroonies. Toilet flush. Goodbye. (laughs) Big chili. Oh my! Like (laughs) movies. Like um. mm, Now she's some big fat person. or Some (laughs) great big fat person.
1: Those are like slither noises.